Where will you spend your eternity? This is a question that does have an answer, even if you don't know what it is. I'm Pastor John. The ministry of Headed Home is designed to prepare you for that day we will all face, our last. Join us as we find and answer the tough questions and remember, you cannot truly live until you're truly ready to die. Is anybody enjoying these pictures of Christ, the typology we've been looking at? Remember with the, okay, good. The sacrifice with Adam and Eve, the first sacrifice, blood sacrifice, we see the clothing that Adam and Eve were clothed with. And then we, you know, we transitioned uh, last week, I think it was last Wednesday night, we looked at the ark and how the ark was a picture of Christ, was the redemption, the, the curse of sin would have killed us. But what God was doing all throughout the Old Testament was showing these, it's called typology, these pictures of Christ. We're going to continue doing that. When we finish up Acts, I hope we should get it finished up in January, early January. I was hoping to have it done before January, but then we're going to pick up, and even on Sunday mornings, I'm going to encourage you to be at church on Sunday mornings and uh, Wednesday nights, because we're going to just continue to go through each one of them, because there's, there's so many. If I remember correctly, there's about 145 of them, um, but just profound beauty. We're going to look at one tonight, but I, I hope it is a challenge to you. I hope it's an encouragement to you, a challenge to dig deeper, to understand what we're referencing in these things and how beautiful that picture of seeing the redemptive work of Jesus Christ displayed in all of these instances throughout the Old Testament. And remember this, you know, you, sadly, there's denominations that only use the New Testament. There's denominations that only use the Old Testament. And the, what the sad reality about that is, if you don't read the Old Testament, the New Testament, the New Covenant, means nothing. It doesn't make sense because you don't understand what it's like to live under the law. You don't understand what the mosaic, all of this, the, the order of God and all the atoning works and all of this that had to be done and seeing the beauty of what it means under the new covenant and Jesus Christ becoming our high priest. But likewise, the same thing without the New Testament, the Old Testament doesn't make sense either. So they both work hand in hand. That's why I challenge you to stay in the word Look at these at a deeper level because we can only scratch the surface in you know, 45 minutes on any given day that we are uh, opening the Word. But it gives us that opportunity. And I hope that this is merely a springboard with which each of you take. Get a notebook. One of the greatest things you can ever do. Get yourself a notebook. Take notes on Sunday and then go out there and expound on it. Go and expound. Dig in there. You can get in interlinears. You can do so much. Literally, there's no limit to what you can do. The only limit that's going to do that is you in this. Do you delight to spend time in God's presence? Do you delight? What? Delight yourself in Him? He will give you the desire of your heart. Do you want more of Him? Dwell in His presence. Delight yourself in Him and God's promise that He will give Himself to you in ways you'll never begin to understand, comprehend, or imagine. But what you'll ultimately do... Um, John actually read, I think it was last night, he read the Proverbs, and because uh, we read one at night, he read it last night, and I said, you know, son, isn't it amazing? I said, this book, this one book, Proverbs, wisdom literature, is it not amazing that if you follow what Proverbs says, you will have an incredible life? He said, Dad, you're exactly right. And it's the truth, though. It's not just because I say it. It's because God's Word, and this right here is the framework with which the greatest fulfillment possible we will ever be able to achieve 
The only thing that God's word prevents us from are things that will hurt us, harm us, and rob us from being what God's designed and desires for us to be. Uh, Tonight's message is titled, The Sacrificial Lamb. You're going to know this story. Uh, I preached it, I I believe, probably four or five months ago. Not this message, but on this uh, topic. You can look at Genesis chapter 22 tonight, if you can turn in your Bibles there. We're going to look, we're going to jump around, uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 2 first to get the context of the story, and then we're going to jump to verses 8 through 14, because we don't have time to exhaustively go through the whole story tonight. I'll kind of talk you through a little bit. This is the story of when God calls Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. You remember this story. We're going to see the beautiful picture, the typology of the pointing towards Christ Jesus coming that you see in this story. It's so profound that there is a picture of Christ in this story. But we're going to watch that play out tonight. Actually, to me, it's just such a beautiful picture of it. But I love, truly, what I love so much about this story is the faith of Abraham. The reason that I say that, most of you know what Moloch was, right? Dital Moloch. What was one of the, the key factors that was involved in the worship of Moloch? Child sacrifice. That's why when you hear me reference Moloch in our society, I'm talking about the abortion clinics. That is Moloch. Killing your children in the name of whatever your desire was, worshiping your God. But what is so profound about this story tonight, when you see Abraham, God calls him to go and sacrifice his son. Abraham doesn't do what I would be tempted to do. Because I would be tempted to, logic is my, what my degree's in, so I would say, wait a second, God. You are not a God that changes your mind. You're the same yesterday and, and forever. So therefore, God, due to that fact, there is no way that you have asked me to sacrifice my child because I know in your very character you disdain child sacrifice and you've called us never to do that. See how easy? It would be not to walk in faith. Remember, faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. So what you would come into this conundrum in your mind, this decision that you would face at the moment that that Abraham's dealing, if you and I, God was to ask us to do something that seemed completely out of his character, completely, let's just say, completely against everything that God would call us to, but you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, you've prayed about it, you've been in God's word, and even though it contradicts, God has literally in every way affirmed that he wants you to head in that direction. You're at you're an impasse, right? This is the thing about it. When you know God's voice, what is it? My sheep hear my voice, right? And I know them. We know God's voice. So if God asks us to do something, now I'm not talking about you decide to go out and buy a $200,000 car because you just feel like it would help you go do visitation better and see your friends and share the gospel, and, and you're going to justify it in the fact that the Great Commission tells you to go you therefore. That's not justifiable, That's right? That's going to be something that you or I have manufactured in our brains because that's not going to be something that's going to be an event that's going to bring a blessing to you because you're going to end up having to sell your house and live in the back of it, right? But God in his character, what's so profound about God's voice is this is what God does. God speaks with clarity. 
God speaks directly to the issues that we deal with. The same way that God told Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, there was no hiccup. There was no meandering in the way God spoke. He was clear, and his direction was concise. That's where Abraham then had the choice. Am I going to be obedient? And am I going to go and do what seems completely outside of God's character? Or am I going to question God and the road of disobedience based on my perceived obedience. Meaning, is Abraham going to be obedient not to go sacrifice his child because he knows God would not want him to do that? No. Abraham was willing to give his son's life to the God that called him to do it. And that is, brothers and sisters, a faith that I pray that we strive to live in. We strive to live a life of obedience because again, in the context of God's plan for us, that is where the exponential, the, the blessings multiplied come from. It, uh, uh, disobedience, rebellion, is as the sin of divination, witchcraft. That's what the Bible says. Not my word, God's word. Rebellion. So when we know what God's word says to do and we say, God, you know what? I'm tired. I'm this. I'm that. My wife, my husband, my friend, my mom, my dad, my kids. And God, I, I just need a break right now. What we're doing is we're engaging in what is proverbial witchcraft. We are rebelling against the one that has not only created us, who has commissioned us and called us to go you therefore and make disciples. Pray this, this encourages you tonight. Again, we're going to look at uh, the first two verses of Genesis chapter 22, and then we'll jump down to verses 8 through 14. And if you're able physically tonight, let's stand out of reverence for the reading of God's word. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he answered. Take your son, he said, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering mountains that I will tell you about. And then move down to verse 8. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Then the two of them walked on together. When they arrived at the place that God had told him about, Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac, placed him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out, took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He replied, here I am. Then he said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your only son from me. Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went, took the ram, offered it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named that place, the Lord will provide. So today it is said, it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. Father, thank you, Lord, today for this privilege, Lord, again to worship. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that it speaks, speaks to everything that we will ever encounter, that we will ever struggle with, every battle, every hill, every question. God, I pray that we will rest wholeheartedly in the finished work of salvation through Jesus Christ in the unchanging truth of your word, the, the B-I-B-L-E, that will never change. Though this world will, people will, 
Your word never will. Lord, let us rest in that, trust in that, and place all of our hope in that. And we ask this all in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So we know back from the sin, the sin nature, we know back from the Garden of Eden, the first point I'll go ahead and give you tonight is this. When mankind sinned, a sacrifice was required. Well, we know, looking in verse 1 right there, it says, and I, I actually, it's, it's good for us to understand this. After these things, God tested Abraham. God tested Abraham. Now we know about Job. We know that God wasn't testing Job, was he? No, the enemy had come and said, you're only uh, watching this man Job love you because you've blessed him. That's the reason that he loves you, that he does what he does because you have blessed him. And of course, God gives him the ability you know, stretch out your hand, okay. You can't touch his life, right? So we see what happens. Now, this one's here, God's testing Abraham. You know, it's, it's interesting because it seems like God's got a habit of doing this with Abraham, doesn't he? Any other time that you can remember with Abraham that God was testing Abraham's faith? How about in the initial call to leave his land, to leave his people and go? By the way, God doesn't even tell him where he's going. And it wasn't just a wife and just a few little things that they put on the back of a donkey and just rolled down the road. No, there are estimations that could have been as many as 100 plus thousand people that would have been involved in his caravan. Can you imagine if God tonight tells you tomorrow, put your house on the market, get whatever you can get for it, sell everything you have, and I want you to go to Zaire. I want you in Zaire before the end of the month. How many people here would struggle with that commission from God? Matter of fact, you might not even be able to pronounce Zaire. Much less understand what the culture would entail and all of the different things that you would face going to an area like that. But if God tells you to do something, that's the question for us tonight is, the ultimate, the, the ultimate tonight and yes and no is, if God tells you to jump, what's your response going to be? Lord, what should I do? Uh, how high, Lord? How about that? Yes. God, how high? I'll start jumping now. I'll jump till you tell me to stop. Or is it going to be, wait, Lord, you remember my knee surgeries? And you know, my back and my this and my that. And oh, God, I don't have my jumping shoes on tonight. Because uh, we're at church. And you know, Southern Baptists, we don't jump around and stuff. You got this and wrong. Oh, good gracious. We got diehard Southern Baptists in here tonight. Y'all didn't even do anything. We had some Pentecostals in here. Y'all just shouted, amen, glory. We're going to jump. We're going to get excited, man, because it's an exciting thing to serve the Lord. Amen? Amen. And when you miss a Sunday because your stomach was messed up, I assure you, I felt like I was where I shouldn't be. Exactly. I was where I shouldn't be at home. I want to be in the fellowship of the body of Christ with my brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why it's never, I've never understood why people choose not to assemble. Now, we buy the lie. I know that. You know, oh, my this, my that. I'm tired. I work too much. You know, I've got a big day next week, next month, next year. And all these excuses the enemy gives us. But yet, my question becomes, I have a limited number of days in my lifetime that I have to worship the Lord. I actually did the numbers on it one time, and it's a little, it's a little frightful, a little scary. 
I'm thinking about it right now. Uh, I'm in the, the neighborhood of 49 Christmases, right? Uh, maybe this would be the 50th, I guess, because your first year of life. And uh, that's, uh, that's not going to be repeated. <laughs> Amen? So when you start thinking about the, the brevity of life and you start thinking about, oh, I've got all the time in the world... Yeah, you might do that when you're six months old or you're 13 or, or 15 or 20, but you don't do that when you get near the half-century mark because what you realize is you're headed into the sundown period of life. You know what you start thinking about? You start thinking about your address is going to be changing sooner than later. And I'm not talking about your address here. I'm talking about the address in eternity, the one that I check every single day in Middle Tennessee that is called the obituaries. Those people have moved. That's like a forwarding card that you get from the uh, post office when you've moved somewhere. That's the forwarding card. Oh, we stopped sending them their Christmas cards now. We stopped sending up. They're gone. They've graduated. They're home with Jesus. Amen? Or we hope they are. We hope they're a follower of Christ. But we're watching Abraham right here. He's at this pivotal moment. He has once again the choice to make. He is literally confronted with something that I can't again begin to comprehend due to the fact that it is in actual conflict with the nature of God. That is where it is super important. Have you ever, um, has anybody ever jumped trains? Am I the only one? I used to have a real love for jumping trains. Emily ruined that for me. We got, <laughs> we started dating and I took her out for the first train run. She got dragged down the tracks and almost died and I had to, to lay down but what I do when I was going out to find out if a rail was hot they call it the rails are hot you put your ear down to the rail because when a train is about five miles off you begin to hear this very high-pitched noise and you know when there's a train coming this is what I'm talking about in the spiritual dimension you've got to have your ear to the track spiritually You've got to know what's coming. Spiritually, God has something in store. God is in the midst. God wants us to do something, but is your ear to the track spiritually? Are you ready for what God is intending to do for you, with you, use you for, test you? Are you checked up from the neck up in your spiritual inventory? Have you gone through your spiritual inventory? Are you delighting yourself in the Lord? Are you dwelling in his presence, in prayer, in his word, or are you the person that showed up at the football game as a Tennessee Titan player but didn't bring your equipment? Ask it. Because those are real issues. Even though they're analogies, they're very real questions for us. And what happens often is... People are playing armchair quarterback, spiritually speaking. We know what in the world to say to everybody else about what they're battling and where they're at. But you're so far from where you should be, the only thing you can't see, you can see everybody else's failures and everybody else's place in their walk with Christ, but you can't see your own. That's why it's so important. Last night... By the way, thank you, Jesus. Y'all who've been praying for me with that um, breathing machine, you're going to be praying the other way that it doesn't work. I've been up since 1220 last night. I feel like a million dollars, and I'm not even ready to go to sleep. I'll preach till 9 tonight. All right, 930. 
Okay, good. Praise God. I figured I'd say a number to get somebody to say amen. But I say that because when things aren't right in our lives, when things are off, see, God answers prayer. And when you're stopping breathing, I was 40 plus, I was almost 47 times an hour, okay? So well up into the 40s times an hour, you're not thinking clear. So when I get up this morning at 12.30 or 12.20, I'm going, this is not normal. This is not good. Why am I so awake? Why do I feel like a million dollars? I just went to bed at 9.20. This is not the kind of, this is not the kind of thing that, that's going to bring about a good cohesive, but, but you know what I'm telling you something? What did I do? I got in the Word. I spent time in the Word. Spent a good bit of time in the Word. Meditated in the Word. And you know what happens? Not only did I start the day out great, I feel great. It's awesome because what I did is, is I, first and foremost, I didn't invite God to the party. I got in his presence. I invited myself into his presence. By the way, I have an open invitation in God's presence, as you do. But I took advantage of it. I might be faced with temptation and testing today. I might have been faced today by another phone call like we got last year. I might have been faced with some other pathogen entering my body like it did in, in October last year. But I know one thing, I've got to get things right in the checkup from the neck up to be prepared for that. Because apart from that, I have no ability to face anything. Again, it's like a football player showing up for a game with no equipment. It's like a soldier showing up to a battlefield with no weapon. Yeah, you, you might be a conscientious objector. Anybody know what movie? Great movie. Hacksaw Ridge. Good movie. Amazing movie. True story. Wouldn't carry a gun. God used him to minister. They actually, at the end of the movie, you get to hear from the very men that mocked him and beat him up because he wouldn't carry a weapon. And how God used that man's testimony as a conscientious objector to save hundreds of people who had been mercilessly slaughtered had he not been there. See, on the surface, what God laid on his heart to do, it seems foolish, doesn't it? How could God want him to do that when you watch the fact that God blessed him beyond understanding? And that's what God does. God blesses our blind faith and our blind obedience. But the question tonight for you is, the sacrificial lamb of God's there. We profess faith in Jesus Christ. We place our faith and trust in him but are you truly living for him? Are you truly honored? Do you have the faith of Abraham as we see in these verses right here? I cannot imagine the other hard part about this. What is this other covenant? Do you remember what Isaac is? He's the promised covenant child. His wife Sarah was 90 years old and back then that was past the time of having children. So remember the mess with Hagar and Ishmael when Sarah says, well, hey, take her and, and, and we'll just get this covenant blessing going. No, that wasn't God's plan, and we found out the mess that that ended up being. So then, ultimately, God does exactly what he was supposed to do. Sarah has this child. Isaac's here, and now God's asking you to sacrifice him? And you've got a wife that's old, wretched, and by that point, imagine what uh, good gracious. She's dried up by that point completely. Because remember, he's not a toddler at this point. I would say he'd have been roughly in his mid-teen years, minimum, if not older. 
Oh, okay, maybe you're going to have another one, Lord. No, this is the covenant child that God promised. This covenantial, the Abrahamic covenant. This was the covenant child. And you're asking me to kill him? There's so much to this church. This is what I'm trying to tell you. You dig in this. There is so much into this in the conundrum, the mental battle that Abraham would have been in, in his battle to be obedient or his battle to yield to all of these emotions that you know he would have been flooded with as he's walking up this mountain thinking, I'm getting ready to kill this covenant child that God blessed me with, and this makes absolutely no sense. We don't hear that from him. We see an unyielding obedience to the will of God and nothing else. Where are you in that? This world will give you all you want, by the way, it'll give you all you want, and, and the, the response of each of the wants is the removing of everything that we desire truly. All the fulfillment in the worldly context leads to hopelessness, brokenness, emptiness. It steals everything. It takes you farther than you want to go, keeps you longer than you want to stay, and costs you more than you want to pay. See, think about Abraham. He... He doesn't go up the mountain. He ensures the covenant promise is still intact. He feels good about himself because, you know, hey, I, I didn't violate what God would have wanted with this child sacrifice. No, he would have been at odds with God. What God asks and requires of us is unflinching, unyielding obedience and faith at every level. Am I... Am I saying that's easy? No, I'm the first one that'll tell you there is nothing easy about faith. It's, it's not. I'm gonna tell you, and I'll be candid with you, at the age I'm at when we're doing the adoption, you know, you, you gotta think, I'm not dumb. I, I'm not dumb. I might look dumb, but I'm not nearly as dumb as I look when you start thinking about signing on to a, a 20-year commitment, basically, a lifetime commitment, but, you know, raising for the next day. I'm not dumb. I know what math is, and I know when you take basically 50 and you put 18 on there, that's knock, knock, a knocking on 70. I'm not the 24-year-old child that's having our son that goes, oh, yeah, good night, man. I, I won't even have had my first knee replacement by the time he's grown up. No, listen, the shades are shut by the time that this, this show is over this time. So there's a real question for all of us when these things happen. Are we going to live and walk and act in faith? Because it doesn't make sense in the visceral. In this, it's not. It's sinking what the world perceives as these glorious years that you have as you're near retirement and then retirement years, right? When you sit back on the beach and you tell everybody, what is it? Um, I don't have to, you know, there's, there's retired, goofy retired bumper stickers and, and tags they have on the front of them. Don't have to work, don't have to blah, 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 all those things. No, I realize that was sacrificing it, but it doesn't matter because what mattered was the call of God always matters. And remember, it always matters, number one, when it impacts and affects people because that is the thing that's the closest to the heart of God. Again, why it would have been so hard for Abraham because this promised covenant child was at the heart 
of this choice now to be obedient. Or this covenant child was at the heart of his choice if he'd wanted to defy the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, right? So as we think about this, the second thing I want to share with you tonight is this. It's the only a blameless, perfect sacrifice would do. I don't understand because we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Isaac wasn't sinless, right? So God's wanting Abraham to go up. You know, he could have hit it from that angle. You know, you want a, a spotless blemish, a, 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 a sacrifice that's blameless. And you know, my son, Lord, you know, you know how you can get at times. And what another good angle to approach it from? No, God said, do it. We do it. No matter how hard what God asks us to do, God doesn't say to us, if it looks like you might be able to fit it in and it'll work into the scope of what you believe I should be doing, you just go ahead, but otherwise feel free to pull, pull back and we'll work something else out. No, he never says that. That's where the pain comes. That's where the hurt comes. That's where the heartache comes. But also that's where the inability to really walk in the fullness of Christ and the gifts of the Spirit, it lies at the feet of that. Because obedience never, ever, ever brings anything other than blessing, but disobedience never brings anything other than hurt, heartache, brokenness, and pain. Let's go to those last verses again as we, we finish up. Again, verse 8. So here we are. Remember, so... There comes this point where Isaac's, okay, I've, I've thought about this. I've even done a little skit in my mind where, you know, we're walking up. Hey, Dad, where's, uh, what we sacrifice? Well, the Lord will provide. All right, so you think about it, you know, as a child, you just think, you know, you're walking up the hill. We don't realize what happens here. Isaac it not only helps build the altar, but then he's tied up and put on it. Do you think that he was dense? Do you think that he's just sitting up there going, oh, Dad, this is going to be neat. I'm going to turn into a goat and, you know, I'll pop out of the... No. You also see Isaac yield to whether it's him yielding to the authority of his father, unequivocal yielding to the father's authority, or whether you see Isaac both yielding to the father, but also the father. You see this. You don't see Abraham fighting Isaac up there as Isaac saying, Dad, you've lost your mind. But what's so beautiful? Listen to verse 8 again. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Then the two of them walked on together when they arrived at the place that God had told them about. Abraham builds the altar there, arranged the wood, bound his son Isaac, placed him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out, took his knife. Think about it. He's got the knife in the hand. He's literally getting ready to kill him. This is how far God takes him. Not a, we go halfway up the mountain, psych, there's a ram. No. God takes him to the doorstep of his obedience to see if he truly was what he said he was. angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He replied, here I am. He said, do not lay a hand on that boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God 
since you have not withheld your only son from me. An interesting parallel here. Who didn't withhold their only son from us? God. Abraham's a picture of God sending Christ. Ultimately, willing to sacrifice what happens, the ram. Look at the, the, the obedience of Abraham, demonstrating the obedience of God the Father and giving his only son for us. I'm at a loss for words. It's the profound picture of the love of God in that. But then ultimately, here is us, right? We're all Isaac. We all are going to die, right? We're all sinners. Isaac was a sinner. But then what happens? Angel of the Lord, stop. What does he do? He provides the sacrifice, Jesus, our sacrifice. What an awesome picture, church, of a sacrificial lamb. Isaac's life was spared because of the blood sacrifice of someone else, something else. Our life was spared because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We're going to continue to see these one after another, after another, after another. God is foreshadowing. He's foreshadowing the beauty of what was to come. As we reflect once again on Advent, the coming, as we're celebrating the Advent season, do you realize tonight Apart from the sacrificial lamb of God, we are lost and without hope. We know that we have hope because Jesus came. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus paid our price. Not only that, God desired to dwell with us and us dwell with him, fellowship with him. God removed the dividing wall. He's done everything to open wide the doorway to enter his presence. Scripture says we can go boldly into his presence. Now I ask you, are you hearing God speak? If you're not in this, you're not. You don't know what God's saying because you can't. And then I ask you again, if you're hearing God speak, then you are boldly going in his presence and you are having a dialogue with God. Well, Brother Jonathan, I don't understand that. Yes, God speaks here to us he speaks to, God uses other people. God uses so many different methods of speaking. And by the way, no one will ever limit God's ability to do whatever God wants to do. And that's what's exciting. God can and will do anything. Don't ever think that somebody, oh no, that was back in the apostolic period and God doesn't move in lives and hearts and God doesn't speak to us and God doesn't uh, speak in dreams and visions. That was back during the, don't listen to it, you rebuke it. You rebuke somebody who says that the word of God isn't true, isn't real, and that God doesn't speak. I, I rebuke that stuff because I know many years ago I had a tendency and found that I had boxed God in. You know, God doesn't heal anymore. You know, God doesn't do this and God doesn't speak in dreams and visions because that was during the... Guess what happened? One day I'd read that book, Lord Disciple Me, by our dear family friend of ours, um, Richard Mull, and in, in the book... He talked about one day God got a hold of his God box. And what he did, he popped the top off that one day and said, God, I will never limit you again. You can do anything. And by the way, I did that same thing in that book when I did it. I stopped. 
I prayed and said, God, don't ever let me box you in. I know you can do anything. God, you can speak. You can heal. I'll do what your word says. I'm going to trust because you are faithful. You are trustworthy. And don't ever let me for a moment try to box you in because you cannot be boxed in. And I'd encourage you to do that if you haven't done it. I'm telling you, it'll change your walk with Christ, by the way. But I'll tell you what else it'll do. It'll let you hear God's voice like never before. Because when we don't believe God does something, let me ask you a question. You gonna ever see it done? If you and I think that God can't do something, we'll never see it done. You know why? Why did Jesus not heal in his hometown? He did not what? Did not do many miracles there because what? Their lack of faith. They didn't believe that Jesus could do what he was doing. Faithlessness hinders the ability for God's power to be manifest in our lives. What does that mean? Faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see, meaning God is there, God is all-powerful, God's omnipotent, God's omnipresent, and when I start to worry, I take it captive and rebuke it in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth because God's promises never to leave me, never to forsake me. He'll provide all of our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ. So when we start worrying, what we're saying is, God, I think you're going to leave me high and dry. You're saying, God, you're a liar. Oh, I'm not saying, yes, you are. Because God's promise tells you he will. So how in the world can you believe for a moment that you and I can justify believing that in worry we're doing anything other than telling him, God, I don't trust you. I want you to understand tonight God's faithful. God has always done what he says he will do. He always has and he always will. The only person that needs to get on board with the issues of the day, most notably, is us. Third and final thing I want to share with you tonight, and then we're done. Jesus became our sacrificial lamb just as Isaac was spared by the ram. Jesus became our sacrificial ram. The reason I'm doing these basic principles for this, what it is, it's building your, basically it's a, it's like, it's a spiritual teaching. These are basic fundamental principles, but each one of them builds on the next one, okay? It's, it's called systematic theology. Systematic theology is very vital because what it is, is in systematic theology, it's like building blocks of our faith. And what happens in these building blocks of our faith is it sets a foundation with which each one springboards off the next one. And what it does is help answer those questions when somebody asks you, what is faith? Faith, I mean, we talked about it. Oh, Hebrews 11.1, 1. faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain what we do not see. Faith is that thing of realizing that Jesus became that sacrificial lamb. I know he did. I wasn't there. The same way that Isaac was spared by that ram, Jesus was, was the sacrificial ram that laid his life down for us and freed us as us being the picture of Isaac. Okay, God, I understand that. But this systematic theology is so important. The reason that 25 years ago, 80% of the Southern Baptist kids in the denomination had left the faith within two years is because they were lacking systematic theology. They could not defend and contend for the faith because they had, our, many of our churches had failed in equipping our children to go out in the mission field and understand what they believe and why they believe it. This is what I want to encourage you to do. I don't care how old you are. If you're 80 years old here and you go, Brother Jonathan, I just don't really know. It's not too late to learn. 
You can learn to defend and contend for the faith. You might not be in an arena where you're going to end up being in front of a professor who's trying to, to destroy your faith. But what you're doing is getting excited about the things of the Lord, and you're growing in your walk with Christ during this process of sanctification because you're headed to glorification, as we all are. And we have a, a right to be about the king's business, King Jesus. Get in his presence. Delight yourself in him. There's no such thing as, well, I'm spiritually right now. That is the day you die. If you're not green and growing tonight, you're dying spiritually. And I want to encourage you to do a spiritual inventory tonight in your heart and say, am I green and growing or am I ripe and dead spiritually? If you're ripe and dead, I would encourage you tonight to get on your face before God during the invitation and cry out to the Lord and say, God, soften up my heart with the blood of Christ Jesus, Lord. Plow up my heart. Plow up the old, infertile, dry ground that has led to me being ripe and dead spiritually. Pray Psalm 51, just like King David did. Repent and pray Psalm 51. Restore unto me, Lord, the joy of my salvation and renew a right spirit in me. I hope tonight this not only has encouraged you, but I hope it's challenged you to a deeper walk with Christ. I, I pray that it's challenged you to get in God's word, to dwell in his presence, because all I'm telling you about tonight, listen, I want nothing more for you to walk in the fullness of Christ. But what I know for certain cannot ever happen if we are walking in the world's ways and the world is impacting us and us not impacting the world, we're not gonna do anything for the kingdom. But not only that, you're going to end up walking into eternity one day, not having been faithful. And I know one thing, I don't even want to think about the ramifications of that because I know what the Lord talks about with the talents. I don't have time to bury my talents and then show up at the, at the uh, Bema Seat of Christ one day and go, Hey, Lord, let me dig up what I got you. I still have. I don't want that. Amen? I want to take the blessings that God's giving me and I want to take the harvest that as a follower of Christ, obedient serving in the kingdom, the harvest that God allowed and the blessing that God allowed me to take part in as a result of that. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, tonight for your word, God, and the beauty of this picture, Father, of Isaac and how you'd called Abraham to sacrifice his son and how difficult as we worked through this tonight and we unpacked it. God, thank you, Lord, that this faith that Abraham demonstrated, we can live with that same faith, Lord, as your word says. If we have not, we have not because we ask not. I pray tonight if there's one here that needs faith, Lord, that they would cry out to you tonight during this invitation and that you would give them that faith of a mustard seed with which mountains can be moved. God, we thank you for Jesus, Lord, for salvation, for the hope that we have. Lord, I thank you that we can boldly come into your presence tonight in prayer, knowing you not only hear our prayers, but you answer. Might not be on our time frame, might not be the way we think it should be, but God, we know that you will. You are ever faithful. Father, during this invitation, I pray that you would just move in hearts, not only here, but all over the globe tonight, ones watching online, that ones that may not know Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that know they're a sinner in need of a Savior, and tonight want nothing more than experience the gift of salvation in Jesus. I pray they'd repent of their sin. They can do it in the quietness of their home. Thank you for listening to Headed Home with Pastor John. If you'd like to know more about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, please visit our website at longviewbaptistchurch.org and click our contact link. Thank you for joining us.